Hey, you super friends, my name is Neil, and this is episode 45 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of comic book, film, TV, and pop culture goodness from our studio director, your speakers. I am, of course, joined today by my very own boy wonder himself, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How are you doing today? I'm all right. Are you having a lazy Sunday? No. Why not? Because you're making me do things. <laughs> oh, dear. And do you know what things we are doing for the lovely listeners at home today? No. Do you not have the energy to turn around and look at it on the whiteboard? That's be a terrible strain on my neck. <laughs> well, today we are going to catch up on some of the latest news since the last time we spoke to you all. And then we are having a Ready Player One slash Ready Player Two review special in uh, celebration of the release of Ernest Klein's Ready Player Two, which came out in stores last week. Also available in an audiobook narrated by the wonderful Will Wheaton, who also did the audiobook for the first one, I might add. Damn you, Wheaton. With that said, on to the news. The biggest news of the last few weeks is the confirmation that Warner Brothers will indeed be releasing Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day in uh, theatres in America. It will also simultaneously hit HBO Max in the US on Christmas Day. Here in the UK, it is confirmed to release in cinemas, those which are open, I might add, on December the 16th. What do we think about HBO Max having a simultaneous premiere in America? I'm very excited. Good on you, HBO Max. I mean, some people will obviously see it as a ploy for them to get more subscribers, which, I mean, is fair enough, because I'm sure it will bring in a few. Um... There is also the slight issue that if you go and see it in a cinema here, or if you go see it in a cinema in America, or you were to purchase it on iTunes, whatever, you'll get it in 4K, which HBO Max does not do. So I'm sure that will deter a few people. But I think it's a great decision on Warner Brothers' part to say, do you know what? been a really, really shitty year, and we've delayed this film a couple of times, and do you know what? You need something to look forward to at Christmas. Have Gal Gadot. Exactly. And who else do you want to save your Christmas other than Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman? Exactly. So hopefully uh, cinemas here will open. For anybody uh, not listening in the UK, we at the moment are in lockdown. That lockdown ends on Wednesday the 2nd of December. That's when we go back into the tier system. London is going to be classed as a tier 2, which means that cinemas here can, in theory, reopen, although much of the country will be under a stricter third tier, which means cinemas can't open in those areas. The only issue there then becomes that Wonder Woman might be available in certain parts of the country and not others. So it's just going to be be interesting to see what unfolds in the next couple of weeks. No cinemas are yet to confirm that they will actually reopen. I did speak to Cineworld, who replied to me to say, we can't say anything, we look forward to reopening. And I thought this was quite a pointed statement. We look forward to reopening when there is a full slate of films to show. So I wonder whether certain chains will not open for Christmas for the sake of Wonder Woman. So I don't quite know what's going to happen. We will have to watch this space and see. But in theory, if you're in the UK, you'll be able to see Wonder Woman in the cinema from December the 16th if you're able to get to a cinema. And in the US, Christmas Day, if you feel that you're able to go to a theatre, you can do. Otherwise, sign up for HBO Max and watch Wonder Woman 1984 that way. Next up is some Doctor Who news. do 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 Oh, God. Uh, That is the 
You're right there. Oh god, that was a bit high. <laughs> it was a bit. Sorry if that. Look at the waveform on my yeah. screen. You've just gone literally. You've gone right off there. Going back to my point. Yes, go for it. Uh, so this is the news that Doctor Who's Christmas special will feature the return of the Daleks, who have a new design, which we will discuss momentarily, and also the return of John Barrowman as Captain Jack Harkness, who returns once again after um, a brief guest appearance this season, right? In a I'm, season that we've not finished. I'm nodding because I may have hurt my throat with my ooze <laughs> By singing along. Uh, so the Christmas special this year is called Revolution of the Daleks. The episode will see the Time Lord come up against the series' classic antagonist, the Daleks, for the first time in Whitaker's tenure, and star Nicholas Briggs has already promised fans the episode is set to be a special gift for Christmas, says the press release. They do point out that these redesigned Daleks are not permanently replacing the previous design. It's something temporary for Christmas, so potentially part of the story. I'm trying. That the press release says this is the first time Whitaker's come up against them. Were they not in the Christmas special a couple of years ago? Um, Remember there was the Christmas or New Year's special where she people were being sort of hypnotised, and then was there not a Dalek in that? But did she not see it? Ah, uh, well, I can't remember now. Use not, the powers of your Google. I'm not very familiar with her time as the Doctor. I feel like the Daleks have lurked in the background and not quite come to the fore, but that's not the most important part of this. Uh, what do you think about Captain Jack being back? I love a bit of Captain Jack. I mean, I quite like the return of Torchwood, so I'll take what I can get, really. We've been re-watching Torchwood over lockdown, and I have to say, it's not quite as I remember it in series one and two. Yeah, you, you've sort of lost the love a little bit, haven't you? I have. I don't really know what it is that I saw first time round that I'm not seeing this time round, but something it just isn't quite clicking for me like it used to. I mean, it's quite cheap. It is very cheap. And it is, you know, a show of its time. It is. Well, you know, I mean, it's a show of its time, really, and it's a bit dated, so... Yeah. It was always it was never going to be a big budget, was it? No, I suppose not. I mean, it is highly sexualised, though. I don't remember being as... Sexy, the first time I watched it. <laughs> Sexy. Sexy. Uh, no. Sexy John Badderman. It is... Um, well, I mean, a bit weird. <laughs> that was a bit weird. Uh, it is a lot more highly sexualized than I thought it was, which, yeah, I don't remember much of. But, like, unnecessarily sexy. Like, let's just, like, throw a bit of sexy in for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. Like that. We're, because we're allowed to be shown after the watershed, we can go a bit crazy, so let's get a bit of boob sort of situation. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see how much this will bring him back into it then. Because we've obviously had the tease, which is about as far as we saw in that last series, wasn't it? We've not finished that series. Uh, little is known about his return at this point, so we'll have to watch this space. But we don't know the exact date when the episode's going to air yet. We just know it'll be airing over the Christmas period. And they're now in production on season 13, I think it is, of new Doctor Who. This year they're filming eight episodes rather than the usual 10 or 12 because they're having to work around COVID restrictions, obviously, so they, they're not able to produce as much this year. So watch this space for the uh, premiere date for Doctor Who Revolution of the Daleks. Next up is some potentially sad news from the CW-verse slash Arrowverse, whatever you like to refer to it as, with confirmation that Black Lightning is coming to an end with season four this year. That one kind of came out of nowhere. We did not see that coming. It's not doing badly in the ratings. It's not doing like great things either. It's just it's doing well. But they've decided to bring the show to an end with season four. I don't. This feels really bad to say, but I don't have many feelings on this because I've only really seen the first half of season one. It's one I keep meaning to go back to, and I never quite find time for. 
Yeah, I've never really watched it, so I'm not that bothered. I enjoy what I've seen, but it just it's always it's that show that is just never quite high enough on the list for me to actually watch it. So it's one we're going to have to get around to watching at some point. But they're in production at the moment on season four, and that will be coming to an end this year. It's a bit sad, really. So at the end of Crisis, we got the the Justice League table. Yeah. So around the Justice League table, you've got Barry Allen still there, Sarah Lance still there, Tyler Hecklin, Superman still there, Supergirl, gone, going. Sorry, uh, you've got Arrow's costume, which is there on display because you know he is deceased. Uh, who else you got? You got John Jones. Could I suppose go over to the Superman show, but in theory, leaving Batwoman, recast. Black Lightning, leaving us. But then there's nothing to say. You know, the only person that's actually dead in that universe at the moment that we know of is Oliver. So I doubt they would kill off Kara, and I doubt they'll kill off Black Lightning. So there's nothing to say that these can't now be like some sort of DC trinity that could come back for crossovers. They could still be at that table. They just they don't have to be in their own show. Like the OG crossovers. Yeah, kind of. Did you know that Stephen Amell... <laughs> actually phoned up Belanti and Crow and said, look, this is a disaster with COVID. If you need me to come back and do, like, season nine, then let's do it. I'm absolutely... Whatever you need me to do. Oh, God. They, and then they, they ended up saying no, and they're not doing that. But he basically said, look, I know you, like, most of those shows are teams of people. If you want to just bring me back and have me running around with a bow and arrow on my own without anybody around, let's just... Whatever. Which I thought was quite a nice gesture of him. God. Desperate for work already. No, he's got another show that starts this year on cable. I mean, he's not short of work. He it just he makes it out like it was just a, a gesture of you can't make anything with your big crews until next year. If you want to do something on a low scale, then I'm I'm here for you. Oh, okay, that's thanks, Dan. It was very cynical of you. It was, wasn't it? This is Stephen Amell we're talking about here. What a lovely man. How dare you sully his good name? Well, but the way you, you posed it to me, it sounded like he was changing his mind already. I feel like we've closed that door already to move on. Well, I mean, he said himself he's closed that door already to move on, but if it was a disaster and they really needed something to keep things going, then he would. It's like all these bands that say they're breaking up and they come back one last time. <laughs> one last time. So since we last podcasted, we got a sort of new trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's pretty much the same trailer as DC Fandom, but in black and white, with a couple of extra bits of footage in there. Uh, so I wasn't really going to cover that off today, but we do have a announcement around Justice League, which I thought was worth discussing, which is the absolute 100% confirmation that Jared Leto is going to be in it. Jared's Joker Returns. What do you think about that one? I'll be interested to see how he returns and how it fits in with the league and the film storyline that we loosely know. Snyder has, I think, not sort of outright stated it, but said in conversation, referred to it as Jared Leto's Joker scene, not, you know, Jared Leto's Joker storyline or lengthy appearance. It's Jared's scene. So don't expect to see much of him. He said that this version of uh, Jared's Joker will still be based in what was created for Suicide Squad, but will be due to the situation in which he appears, he will look different and will be a more road-weary, is the exact quote, version of the Joker. 
I think he also said some because some time has passed since the last time we saw him, which it has in terms of time for us as viewers, but also time in terms of when he is in the film, which I think absolutely gives away when we'll see him. And like the the flashbacky, not flashback, the doomy bit, flash yeah. forward, nightmare, nightmare. Could remember the name there. <laughs> nightmare. He's in a nightmare. His head is in a jar. I'm not sure that his head will quite be in a jar, but yes, that nightmare future does look a little bit like what you're talking about. Would you like to elaborate on it for anybody at home that may have not read that book? Well, it's, it seems very much like a last night on Earth. Let's do what the other Snyders do, and that would be a nice way to bring it all together. Oh yes, Snyder Snyder. Uh, the Mad Max future version. If you've not read Batman Last Night on Earth, it's a uh, it's a thoroughly interesting story. It's a Snyder Capullo book, which you can... It's Black Label as well, which you can pick up in uh, in trade hardback now, actually, while I mention it. I'm, d- I'm looking at the bookshelf as if to say it's there somewhere. And where can people buy it? Uh, where all good comic books are sold. Very good. But I do think you're right. I think the fact that he said he's road-weary and that some time has passed pretty much signposts that we're going to see him in that nightmare future. I think in this four-hour Justice League miniseries, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be an episode or most of an episode dedicated to spending some time there to understand what the potential future is based on the trajectory they are on. So I think that's when we're going to see him. There was an image floating around the internet last weekend that pertained to be this new look version, but it was a it was a fakie. It's not, it's not real. So should you see anything passing at the moment off as a picture of Jared in Justice League, it's it's not real. I mean, is he filming these bits at the moment? Oh, it's done. Oh, it's done. Oh. Yeah. That was quick. They've done they've done their reshoots already. Um, so uh, Snyder recently did a... Uh, well, so when they relaunched this trailer, uh, uh, just to give you some context, the, the original trailer that premiered at Fandome got taken down off the internet because there was an issue with the rights to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. So to celebrate three years since the theatrical version came out, they relaunched the trailer on the anniversary. And to go along with that, he did a Q&A session, uh, which you can read a... <laughs> Very, very lengthy write-up that James and I did for the website. So you can read that over on the website now. www.getyourcomicon.co.uk Just search Justice League. It's only been three years. Yeah, it's been three years since it hit the cinema. It feels longer. It does feel longer, doesn't it? So uh, what I was going to say was, as part of uh, that discussion around the trailer, he also... So he did he did a running commentary of the trailer and then did a Q&A. And as part of that, he confirmed that the the reshoots are done, the cut is complete... They are just finishing VFX. And I, I guess the score maybe not quite finished, but from his perspective, he's just sitting there watching VFX shots coming completed to make sure that everything's finished. But they don't they still don't have a release date or international release plans yet that they were able to confirm. He said that would be coming soon though, so watch at this space. Perhaps we'll get it for Christmas. Like a little ta da. Not like get it, but we'll get the dates. (laughs) If only. That would be a Christmas gift. Final news story this week. Over to the world of the Big M. No, not McDonald's. Marvel. Oh. (laughs) I thought we'd just touch on the fact that... They've got news. They have got news, yeah. I thought we'd touch on the fact that uh, it's been confirmed that Chris Pratt's Star-Lord will co-star in Thor Love and Thunder. So the two of them have been having a little... Uh, so the Chris's, Pratt and Hemsworth, have been having a little back and forth on social media. I don't know if you've seen Chris Hemsworth recently, but he now looks like a WWE wrestler. 
and recently posted a picture of himself basically lifting like a tractor tire to which chris pratt said excuse me uh can you gain a few pounds so that i don't look too bad stood next to you in this film please when we last saw thor he was heading off uh with the guardians of the galaxy anyway he'd left the the asgardians behind on earth in their new home at the end of Endgame, and was travelling off with the Guardians anyway. So it kind of makes sense that at least Star-Lord would be in the next Thor film, if not all of the Guardians. We don't quite know what the level of role will be. I've got a funny feeling it'll be a lot like Hulk in um, Ragnarok, probably. Which worked well in that film, so hopefully it'll work quite well in this one. Star-Lord's a great character, so... What about you, Mr. Marvel Cynic? What do you think? I'm not a Marvel Cynic. I just don't like them, he says. No, I don't. I'm so outraged I can't even speak. I'm gruffing. What an outrage. I don't mind Marvel. I like what they do. I think it's nice. I just don't read their comics. I don't mean I don't read their comics, but I'm not going to go into that. All right, all right. How did you feel about Ragnarok then? I mean, it was all right. I mean, it was very comical. Um, There was probably a little bit too much comedy in there. Is that the one with the lady with the silly head thing? Yes. Yeah. See, I mean, I didn't mind that. Well, Healer. He- Sorry? Healer. Pardon? That was her name. Healer. Yeah. Okay. Well, she wasn't doing a lot of healing, did she? No. Yeah. Um, I think I've only seen it once. Yeah, I don't think you've seen it again since we saw it at the cinema. No. We didn't buy it. No. Well, perhaps I'll watch it again. Hmm. Re- refresh me. But I didn't mind it. I had Jeffy, didn't it? Yeah, it was one with Jeff Goldblum in it. I like a bit of Jeffy. Okay. I mean, the thing with the Marvel films is that I don't mind them. They're just very predictable, I find. They follow that set Marvel... Structure. Structure, where you know kind of what's going to happen. Everybody will be happy in the end, and then we'll move on to the next one. Mm. So it's an enjoyable watch. Mm. I'm just, yeah, I'm interested to see where this one goes, but I think it certainly adds to the comedy aspect of it if we're going to have a Chris Pratt versus Chris Hemsworth pairing on screen. And I assume that you will no longer be cuddly Thor? I guess he will lose cuddly Thorness quite quickly. They're about to start production early next year, and then I think it's out beginning of 2022, I want to say. It's difficult to know with Marvel these days, because things do keep moving. That's it for the news this week. Let's put on our haptics and head into the Oasis for some Ready Player One slash Ready Player Two talk. Ernest Klein's Ready Player Two hit bookstores uh, this week, so it is now available. It is out there in the world to buy, but I thought before we talk about that book, let's talk about the first one, Ready Player One. Amazingly released in, I want to say 2011. Been around a while now, that book. Wow. Yeah. One that I need to reread, I will admit. I do need to reread it, but I loved that book. But tell me your thoughts on Ready Player One, the book. We should move on to Ready Player One. Another film in a minute. Oh, um, I liked it. It's a long time since I read it, um, but I did really enjoy it. That, that what did it. you enjoy? <laughs> what did you enjoy about it? <laughs> um, what did I, I quite like? It was very different. So I liked the fact that it was very much a sort of trip down nostalgia lane. And it was more like a 
like a really cool book of like Dungeons and Dragons book, but without the dungeons or the dragons. Well, there was a dungeon. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but without the dungeons or the dragons. Okay. You you asked what was going on in my mind. I did, uh, and. I have only really recently discovered that there were a few people out there that weren't really a big fan of that book because they felt like it was too nostalgic and there were too many references. But I feel like it's that's what it's about. you just got to embrace them, haven't you? Yeah. Okay, I agree with you. I think it's a book that I read incredibly fast. It was a book I couldn't put down. I thoroughly enjoyed the nostalgia of it and there were a lot of references in there which I which I got and which I enjoyed and I loved that it was it evoked feelings of watching classic 80s quest adventure type movies I liked the storyline I felt it was completely original I thought it was also a good comment on uh, considering it's very very 80s and embraces all of that 80s style it also was a very good um, satirical commentary on contemporary society if you want me to use big words. Mm. The way it... If you think about it, the way it used kind of pre-internet references to talk about a society who spends all their time retreating into the internet and the digital world to avoid the problems around them. It's oh a my. good kind of... Sorry. Um, <sighs> I hadn't finished. You were trying to cut me off. Well, it's a change. A good kind of warning story for modern society to not ignore the world around us. We're a bit late for that. <laughs> well, read book two. You'll soon find out. Um, sorry, what were you going to say? I'm saying it's very much like 2020. Let's retreat into the virtual world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I imagine reading Ready Player One now would be quite uh, be quite different. So if you were logging into the Oasis, what would your avatar look like? It's not something you can answer really quickly. That's going to take a whole lot of time and thought and, you know, and playing around with different hairstyles and <laughs> jackets. Do I have what kind do I have an expansion pack? What have I got access to? Have I got like the basic model? Do I have to buy special things? It's a very complicated question. I would look like Batman. Okay. It's not that complicated. Well, I mean it is a little <laughs> Okay then. Uh, what about Ready Player One the movie? The movie, which we just rewatched um, yesterday in the run up to recording this podcast, because I feel like I can remember a lot of the book quite well, and less so the film. So thoughts on Ready Player One the movie, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. So I think when I first saw the film, I was terribly excited for it. Because we had just read the book. Mm, thought, yeah, because oh. I'd read the book a couple of years before the film. And then I got you to read it because I knew the film was coming out. And I wanted you to read it first. And I thought, I'll give this a bash. And then I read it. And I thought, oh, this is quite a good book. And so I was yeah, relatively excited for the film. And then I'm one of these people that's I'm quite a bit of a purist, let's say. Yep. So I think if you've got such a strong source material to then just take the concept of it and do something different you said well what's the point mm-hmm. so I wasn't a massive fan of the film the first time round, just because they changed quite a lot of the elements yes so let's just focus on that for a second before you tell me how you feel about it because you're clearly about to say you felt different on second watch 
How did you know that? <laughs> the tone in your voice. The inflections. So there was a lot that they changed, wasn't there? Now, I understand some of it because, obviously, the book itself is able to pull any reference that he wants from the entire of popular culture, whereas the film is obviously made by Warner Brothers, and therefore there is a imbalance towards Warner Brothers properties. So there is a lot of DC in there. There's a lot of things that Warner Brothers has some kind of access to thrown into the film because that's the easiest thing to populate the world with is things that they already have the rights to. And then there are other things that they obtained the rights to, but they did eject quite a lot from the book. So I do think the film loses me a bit in how it changes each of the quests. They don't feel quite as magical as they do in the book, do they? No, they feel less questy. Yeah. Now, we had this conversation on Rocket League chat with the Hulks, didn't we? And Chris put it really well by saying the book is like a like a quest adventure and the film is more like an action adventure, if you make if that makes sense. Yes. So when you read the book, you've got like that, ooh, okay, we've got to figure out this puzzle to do this thing, and it's about the little group coming together in order to do that, whereas the film is more like, we have to defeat this bad guy. He's a very wise man. Chris? Yes. yes. <laughs> little, little bit of love there. Uh, but no, it, may, it, do, it does. I, I do feel like the film waters down some of Klein's book to make it more accessible to a general audience, which is fair enough. I'm not saying that that's something that you shouldn't do and that you should, you know, adapt it verbatim because it would be a very long film. But I think for me personally, as a fan of the book, it didn't quite work as well. Even some of the simple things like changing his sort of origin in a way, because if you look at the book, he can only go to the Oasis and go to the school planet because he's not got any mm. coin to go anywhere yes. else. So you can't go off. And, and we do don't see his high school whatsoever in the book, in the film, sorry. Yeah, so we don't see any of that. So you kind of miss the whole thing of him sort of discovering the Oasis now that he's got a bit of money. Yeah. I think the film shied away from the problems that the world was facing and instead jumped straight into what it thinks is the most exciting part of the book, which is the Oasis, which is fair, again, fair enough, because it is, it's a, it's a lot of world building. But I think in the book you understand Wade a lot more as a character because you understand the world that he was living in. You understand that there are environmental issues, you understand that people are poor, you understand why people escape to the Oasis a bit more. Whereas I feel like the film is a bit like, well, life shit, so we all put a headset on. Yeah, pretty much. And you lose some of the nuance by not having the context. Very, very Spielberg. I think I said that quite a lot. I'm like, oh, this is a yeah, you Spielberg. did say quite a lot. This is very Spielberg. This is very Spielberg. Which is ironic because he's the man behind some of those amazing quest type movies from the 80s. But here he just didn't quite land. I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, if you've not read the book and you watch it, it's a nice Sunday action adventure family it film. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's just, I think, as you say, being a purist, it's, it's just not quite the same thing. Which, again... Irony being, Ernest Klein helped write the script for the film, so he adapted his book to it. So I do at least you know that it's come from a place of, I need to try and write this for a different type of audience, rather than, I'm taking this guy's book and I don't understand it. So you were going to say that you felt different about it on the second watch, so... Was I? I said, yeah, I think I did that. I did a little bit, I think because I had, it's been a long time since I read the book, 
Mm -hmm. I don't remember it as well, so I wasn't so beholden to the source material. Okay, fair enough, yeah. So in some respects, I was able just to be like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this. And I was wrapping Christmas presents at the same time. (laughs) That festive spirit. Yeah. It does. I mean, it uses the songs. It uses a lot of the references in terms of what's used in the dialogue or in the soundtrack. It just doesn't visually bring in some stuff that they obviously couldn't afford to pay for or didn't want to, couldn't have, maybe not couldn't afford, that's probably the wrong words, but couldn't get the license to. Yeah, I mean, that must be a, an absolute nightmare trying to get the license to all, all those things stuff. well just wait till you read book two um is there anything else that you want to say about the world of ready player one before we talk about the world of ready player two no <laughs> okay uh so do you recommend the book yes do you recommend the film yeah but maybe have a break between the two or do the film and then the book or the book and then the film do the film and then the book okay now ready player two just come out so eight years after the first book still Ernest Klein. he's still much quicker than Game of Thrones <laughs> yep no flies on George R.R. R. Martin um, I have read the book which we were very kindly sent by Penguin which I was very very thankful for James was also sent a copy by them and he'll be bringing his review to the website this week you have not had a chance to read this yet because I literally just finished it about an hour ago and it's not very easy to tandem read a book so I will allow you to question me about Ready Player Two. Give us a synopsis. Give a better, a spoiler-free synopsis, like okay. the back cover. Synopsis. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not read it yet, because obviously we're still in week one of this book being out. So uh, it starts off pretty much at the end of the first book, where they have just won the uh, the challenge and taken over the the Oasis. And uh, spoiler: if you've not read or seen Ready Player One, everyone's seen Ready Player One by now. I would be uh, flabbergasted if you were listening to this podcast and you don't understand what happens in Ready Player One. And then uh, it quite quickly jumps to around three years later, which is where we pick up the main storyline of Ready Player Two. There is um, there is a new quest, which is part of the Oasis, set by James Halliday, one of the creators. And it involves a new type of technology in which you can access the oasis from a from a different more immersive way and oh god how do i do this without uh, without spoiling it essentially it's ready player 1 part 2 it's very much the same again quest object find quest object find end goal is the spoiler free synopsis you win haha <laughs> You win, yeah, or not. Okay. Did you like it? Did I like it? That's a very good question. I did like it, yes. I thought... Well, there's a but there. No, 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 it's not It's not a but. It starts out really, really strong. And the opening chapter, I really, really liked. It was great to pick up those characters in the same position that we left them in. And we get... In the first couple of chapters, you do get a, this is how we were affected by the fame and the wealth of winning the first of Halliday's um, Easter egg challenges. And then when you go to three years later, it shifts on its axis a little bit. And it feels a bit like the first few chapters are cushioning you for what comes next. And there is a slight emotional disconnect between that beginning and what happens next. So the world is very, very different for the bulk of the storyline. So you kind of get a, this is familiar, whoa, now suddenly this is quite different sort of feeling to it. Okay. So I felt that 
somewhere around the middle, uh, it I so I got re- I got pretty much hooked on it, and I read the first hundred pages pretty quickly, and then the, it's it's around three hundred and sixty three hundred and seventy pages. Around the middle, I found it a little bit bloated, and there were a few chapters where I struggled with it, and then the pace picked up again towards the end. So overall, I liked it, but I do wonder if it was necessary. The whole thing. Yes. Oh. In what way? Do you like it didn't need a sequel? So I think that it's not that it didn't need it. I just I'm not entirely sure what Ernest Klein was trying to say. So, like I was just saying about Ready Player One, it has that message of people retreating into the digital world to avoid the problems that were around them. And that's a very strong message. And that's a very timely message, like you said, especially in 2020. So what more is there to say about retreating into the digital world? The new technology that they use to access it doesn't really have a message that's any different. It's just a different way of accessing the Oasis. And there are questions around should the Oasis exist or not, which is a fair question to ask but when you reach the end of the book the main kind of storyline resolves itself in a different way to what I expected and there is a message at the end that's not really connected and it's more connected to something that you learn about at the beginning I'm trying to say this without without giving spoilers but the villain that they have to defeat and the the quest that the villain sends them on isn't necessarily tied to the overall message of the book the overall message of the book is i was about to say given like an easter egg but that's probably the wrong thing to say when talking about this franchise is seeded at the beginning and only impacted upon by the main storyline so i almost felt like the bulk of what we did was a little bit redundant at the end okay that's a shame yeah but having said that there's still an adventure in the middle and there are still great characters. It's just... It's really difficult to say because, again, I don't want to spoil it and I don't want to put people off, but a general consensus that I've read amongst reviews of this book is that Wade, as your central focus, becomes a little bit unlikable. And I wouldn't say he's unlikable, but he teeters on the edge of becoming the villain of the story very early on, which he uh, he doesn't, which isn't a huge spoiler. But... Because he does teeter on that edge, as you're hitting the main kind of drive of the book, you kind of think, hang on a minute, am I about to invest in a story about someone that's going to become the villain at the end? Which sort of makes you feel a bit like, oh, okay, I don't quite know how I feel about it. So I, I, that's probably the best way to say it, actually, is I don't really know how I felt about it until I got to the end. Okay, interesting. That's a nice, interesting play on the character because... You know, absolute power and money corrupts. That is exactly how I thought the story was going to play out. We were reading a book about absolute power corrupts, and it's not, which is what was the surprise and why I was a little bit confused when we got to the end because I felt so so difficult to figure the right words to say it. Is that more of a journey about him and discovering the type of person he wants to be? Yes. Because he's so, a different person now. He's got all this stuff. Yes, absolutely. I've not read it. I'm just assuming. So it's it's almost like watching a film and realising at the end that you were tracking the wrong storyline. If that makes sense. 
never done that, but, but it sounds like it could happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. I would absolutely recommend it. And I, I don't doubt for a second that James will give this book a positive review because he's really enjoying reading it and he's really enjoying the references. It's, it's a very different subset of references in this one. I don't feel like it's overloaded with nostalgia. Again, some reviewers who have already finished this book and reviewed it have said they feel like it's overloaded, but I, I didn't get that. But what I did get was that some of them are going to go over people's heads much more than in the first book. There are some... These these references in this one are more uh, film and music related. So there is a lot of John Hughes references, which is things like um, The Breakfast Club and those kind of 80s era teen movies and from a musical standpoint there's a lot of references to Prince albums and uh, different eras of Prince's musical career so it's a it's a very different subset of uh, pop culture references than you got in that first book that sounds like a bit of a deep dive it is so it's it in in that respect it's very very different from the first one it's just it's strange to Go back to a world that you understand as being very much around computer games and see it very much from a different perspective. Through the eyes of Prince. Yeah, well, that would be spoiling it to say anymore. Okay. Well, it sounds scandalous to me. <laughs> scandalous. Well done on bringing that background to Batman. That's all right. Is there any uh, party man scenes? No. No, okay. Sadly, there were no references to his time uh, soundtracking Tim Burton's Batman 1989. Any uh, little red Corvettes? Yes. I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> Can't think of any more. Did they part like it was 1999? Not, not referenced. No, okay. Was there any funny coloured rain? Yes. <laughs> I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> Anything else that you would like to ask me about this book? No, I mean, I think you've covered it in quite a lot of words. Um, so it's a story, but it's not the story you thought it was going to be, and it's different at the end than it was at the beginning. And yes. there's lots of prints. Would you like to now introduce a spoiler alert to allow me to elaborate a little bit more for those that are wanting to hear about it? I mean, I could do. Do you want to do that, though? I mean, sure. do, do people want to be spoiled? Uh, well... If we say that there is a spoiler alert from this moment onwards, feel free to skip ahead if you don't want to hear major spoilers for the book. Okay, then. Then I am instigating a, a code red spoiler <laughs> alert. Insert the music here. I was going about to play something off my phone, but the only thing that I've got on there is black alert. Black oh, we, alert. We can just do black computer alert. red alert. It's not picking. Okay. Computer, stand down, red alert. No, stand down. Computer. Is stop. this why you don't include Alexa in a podcast? Which doesn't understand me, I'm too scarce. So the new technology that they have is uh is called an ONI and it enables you to instead of having to like in the film when you see Wade on his treadmill with his little suit on, instead of that you can now lie down and put a, a new like brain interface on that means that it, instead of you having to like physically walk on the spot or move, you now go into an unconscious state and um, everything is done through a direct connection to the brain. 
So there is a there are some matrix references in terms of is it a good idea to to sign your entire brain over to a computer system? Oh yeah, it also sounds a bit like Wally. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. And so there is well, it does even have the space reference. So the the thing that I was talking about that seeded at the beginning that comes back at the end is uh, the group is kind of splintered. So Wade and Samantha have broken up, and Wade H and Soto are still friends and samantha is very much on her own and so she she uses her money from you know how they split the money between them all for winning she uses her money to start a charitable foundation to help uh, poor countries poorer people and to try and rebuild the world that she sees as falling apart whereas what the three others do is release this new technology make billions and billions of dollars and fund building a spaceship to leave earth so they see that the Earth is basically dead and want to find a way off it to try and find life elsewhere, and she wants to save it. So that is why the group is splintered. Okay. It does sound like an 80s film, space film. Yeah, I guess, yeah. 80s action-adventure space film. And then you have the whole quest adventure in the middle, but what comes back at the end is uh, to do with that spaceship and Earth. So it was, it was a little bit too fantastical for me, the idea that they suddenly decided that they wanted to leave Earth. It was a little bit far-fetched, but interesting at the same time. And that's why I think the message of the book is slightly confused, because the quest the quest is about saving people who are then trapped in the Oasis because of the headsets. Uh, again, I don't want to spoil too much, so I'm not going to say much more than that. But I think you've said enough. Hundreds of millions of people are trapped in the Oasis and they have to rescue them, but at the end of the book, it's all about sending digital doubles off on this spaceship to help start life elsewhere both physically and digitally there's a weird question around immortality and whether being digital as in fully digital is is a true path to immortality in the digital world so to sum up you would recommend ready player two i would recommend it yes and i would recommend ready player one (laughs) and you will now go away and read ready player two and I will go and read Ready Player Two as I've now just finished my reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of the Secrets. I would like you to feedback on what you think about Ready Player Two, though. I, I'm, I'm dying to know what somebody else who has read it thinks about it. Oh my god, it's like a homework assignment. It is. After like a 500 word written book review. <laughs> I'd like it on my desk by Monday. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Already then. So, uh, well, I, I guess I probably don't need to say it because I've said it twice already, but Ready Player 2 is available in stores now. You can also obviously buy Ready Player 1. Uh, it is Both are available in audiobook, which is narrated by Will Wheaton. Uh, you can buy them where all good books are sold. And Ready Player 1, the film, is available on home video. You can get it on DVD, Blu-ray and digital. Why they haven't... they still call it home video? Well, because you're bringing it home on video. Are you? DVD is a digital video disc. But what if you're streaming it? You're streaming it into your home? Okay. I've not seen a video in years. <laughs> uh, what was, you've you've ruined my narrative flow. What was I going to say? Um, I was going to say they've not yet announced if and when they're going to turn Ready Player 2 into, uh, into a film. But actually, one thing that is probably worth saying that I should have said is um, I do feel like this book was written for a film. There are... Uh, the whole section around John Hughes movies and uh, Molly Ringwald, who's one of the actors from uh, Breakfast Club and several other really high-profile team movies, is absolutely written to be seen. So I do 
wonder about how much making the first film and writing the first film and being involved with it impacted how uh, Klein wrote this book. Mm. That's my final word on the subject. We <laughs> we will retire and we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another podcast. I don't. I haven't even started to think about what we'll be covering off next. We'll be in December. Christmas will be almost upon us. Are we finished? Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was was this not a painful recording experience for you? What have we done? We do like talk about something else. No, we 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 were just covering Ready Player One this this week. Continue. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so as I was saying, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and it will be it'll be December, and Christmas will be quickly drawing in. We'll be getting ready for Wonder Woman. It'll be a little bit too early to talk about that one as yet. We'll hopefully have a better idea about what cinemas will be open. Uh, I wonder whether we might cover off a little show we've started watching, starring the voice of Harley Quinn, Miss Kaylee Kawoko. Ah, Miss Kawoko. The Flight Attendant, which is uh, the current go-to watch in this house. I've also been watching a bit of Marvel 616, which I might have a little chat about. Star Trek Discovery will be long past the midpoint of Season 3, which is also a bit of a go-to watch in our house at the moment. Martin is throwing a cat around while I'm trying to... Think about what we might like to cover next. Sorry, just bit my hand. Playfully. Playfully. Okay. Well, uh, whilst we go deal with uh, Martin's cat bite, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.